concept for ePartrade is basically, in my opinion, there's a big hole in the internet. So the internet started many years ago, but there's never been an online business community for racers on the World Wide Web. The need for ePartrade is actually quite obvious. Basically, people in the business of auto racing need a place online to hang out and get their problems solved. It's extremely simple for a buyer or for a supplier to interact on the platform. The first thing you need to do is sign in, which is free. And the second thing is when you see a product that you're interested in, all you need to do is click on request more information. If it's a company, you click on request more information. And then from there, it is forwarded directly to the buyer or to the supplier. You can go to epartrade.com, you become part of a community of businesses in racing and it makes uh, sourcing products much easier than just on the internet or using Google. At ePartrade there is no e-commerce, it's literally a connection just like at a trade show. So now, any time of the year, a buyer could reach out to a supplier through an email. More than that, it's a place to go just to keep current every day. So it's a good place to start your workday in your racing business or in your offices of your professional race team. And you know you're current when it comes to new technology, industry news, technical papers, technical videos, all of that and more. We're not looking for a million hits per day. All we want is people who are really the volume buyers of racing products in the racing industry to be part of the little world of ePartrade. We have racing businesses participating from around the world. So you get suppliers from around the world, you get buyers from around the world. ePartrade really eliminates having to travel, closing down your shop. Now you have a place to showcase globally your racing product and technology. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good, good, good morning. afternoon to you. Good afternoon to you, right? Yes, good afternoon. I'm in Seattle. Don, I know you're a little late, even later than us. <laughs> and, and Don, you... Oh, here, here's Jeff. Very good. So, Mr. Ha uh, Mr. Hammond, we're going to let you take over. Yeah. Mr. Hammond, boy, I think we're getting formal now. Good morning, gentlemen. How are we doing, Steve? Keith, hope you're doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, so, our volume's okay, correct? I hear you loud and clear. Very How about good. you, Keith? Yeah, you hear me okay? Yes, sir. Yes. Yeah. yeah, is All everything right. okay for me? Mr. Garland, good morning, sir. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes, sir, I do. Can you hear me, Mr. Garland? Is you okay? Hey, Don, can you hear us? Yeah, thank you. You'll have to talk plain because I have a hearing impairment, and it's not at all that great coming through this, this Zoom deal. So you just have to talk slow and get, you know, say your words real good so that I'll be able to understand them. Sir, we're excited to have you, first and foremost. I want you to know that. Well, thank you very much. It's great to be here for more reasons than one. <laughs> that I can appreciate. Yes, sir. Well, guys, let's just start. What is the current state of what's going on within your company and organization there, Keith? Nindra being the National Electric Drag Racing Association is not something that's brand new. It's been around for 27 years. It was kind of founded by a bunch of gentlemen that wanted to go do cool things and had to establish some rules and a way to keep the records. Uh, the biggest thing now that's changing is obviously, like we talked in the previous thing, electrification into motorsports is happening very fast. Uh, some key things on our end is now that with the IHRA, we're able to race stock OEM electric vehicles this year, and we just had the championships in Memphis. Uh, and the highlight of that is with the NHRA, next year we'll be able to race stock OEM electric vehicles within the Summit Series within the NHRA. So things are moving very fast. And speaking of moving very fast, the two other gentlemen that are on our call is, is Don, who was trying to get to 200 as a quest for 200, as well as Steve Huff, who got to 200 first to 201 and deserves a lot of congratulations to make that happen. Uh, it's really interesting. I see at the track uh, was just at the drag race with Steve Huff and where people were able to see the car in public. 
uh, this past weekend out in Las Vegas. Uh, and I've been able to spend a lot of time with Mr. Garlitz, or Don, as I like to call my friend, uh, big daddy in the world, uh, to see the innovation of what's happening in motorsports is really impressive. To, to me, the coolest thing is it, it kind of reminds me maybe the way it was in the 50s and the early 60s when Don first got started and innovation was really a, really a cool thing uh, to see happen. Uh, it's really neat. You yourself being a NASCAR guy, Jeff, uh, we all have heroes. Don Garlitz is one of mine. Uh, you got to see a lot of NASCAR. Uh, one of Don's really cool heroes and mentor in, in his very start was Smokey Eunuch. Uh, and there's a lot of really interesting things. So just to put a plug in of all of Smokey Eunuch's cool stuff is in Don Garlitz's personal museum down in Ocala, Florida. And if you ever get a chance to be there, seeing being a NASCAR guy and seeing what you've seen, it's well worth the trip down there. So I'll turn it back over to you, Jeff, and, and we can ask some really good questions. Uh, I think the guys before from Immersive, I want to thank them. They did. They put us all to school and gave us a lot of good information. Uh, we'll keep this kind of as an open forum with questions and go back and forth. I'll turn it over to you. Well, thank you very much. And I, I appreciate those comments and sharing that. Yes, uh, Smokey Eunuch was uh, a hero of mine. And I was fortunate to work with Junior Johnson and he and Smokey were pretty big buddies. So it's always great to be around innovators. And when I knew that we were going to get Mr. Garlitz on here. I mean, I got, I get goosebumps because I know this cat, uh, I mean, he's, he is in that same legendary world of people. When they look at something, uh, they don't need a computer. They see it in their head and, and for whatever reason, they figure it out without, you know, a lot of modern technology, the, the old trial and error type stuff. And if you want to know how it felt or how it worked, okay, put it in the car and I'll drive it. And when they get back, they tell you what they feel and what they think they need to do best and do next. So I'm sure that it has been fun for you to watch this young man, Steve Huff, running with this man here that has nothing but a desire to do the next most fun thing he can do. And that's going with and, you know, breaking a 200 mile higher, you know, speed record in an electric car or dragster. So, you know, I, that's one of the things I'm, I'm excited about this webinar that we're having today is we are a part of uh, getting caught up on what the history of this sport is as far as being electric, electrification side of it. And uh, I don't know, I think that's, that should be uh, record breaking, but at the same time, just being the fly on the wall, you might say, and Steve, what do you what do you see, or what have you had happen? What do we have happened with you? What made you decide to take on this challenge? You're muted right now, partner. Yeah, click that little thing and put yourself on. There you go, buddy. You're there. Okay. I, I yeah. can figure out how to go 200, but not how to turn on the computer. Uh, I, I feel I feel your pain. First off, Jeff, I want to say thank you and thank you, you for trade for uh, allowing me to be a part of this. And it's an honor to share a, a room with uh, Don Garlitz and yourself. And of course, Keith is here. Keith was with us this weekend. And, you know, my uh, if there's ever a chance to go down in the history books as one of those innovators like uh, like Mr. Garlitz there, it's, it could be all I could ask for in a racing career. And uh, first, I'm going to introduce myself. You know, my name is Steve Huff. I own Huff Motorsports in Seattle, Washington. And uh, back around 2016, uh, well, I'm going to take it back just a little bit further. In 1999, 1997, I started racing Nitro Harleys. Uh, I saw a class of a vehicle that would really test my limits and a class of vehicles that I thought could use some more technology and have room for innovation uh, without being restricted by so many rules. So I spent about seven years in that. Uh, that's that's really the sum of my drag racing career. I also race uh, shifter carts. I race Formula Fords. I race AP. I race and still race APBA hydroplanes. Uh, I you know I do a lot of Bonneville land speed stuff on motorcycles and now into cars. So uh, I was always looking for places where there was room for innovation. Innovation is what makes my brain work. It's a, a lot of sleepless nights. I think a lot of us have the personalities with uh, all of the. ADD, ADHD, all of these things. And uh, to find the, uh, a chance to do this in an electrified world was uh, extraordinary. I was listening to an interview with Mr. Garlitz 
uh, was the first time I heard of this quest for 200. And it was about this time of year, winter, uh, fall uh, in 2016. And I set out, uh, I heard Mr. Garlitz make a statement uh, that said, you know, we will be the first to go 200. We've been working on it for years. I was first to go 200 and a lot of other things. I'll be the first to electric. Uh, but unfortunately, this can't be done today with current technology. So I thought, you know, I think I can do it. I, I named my car current technology. So I said, we're going to set out and do it with current technology. I took a slightly different approach than Don was taking. Don, uh, and he'll tell you more about it. But of course, he was the king of the electric world also already and had established the records and with the DC power, direct current motors. And I took a little newer, newer approach uh, to utilize an AC drive system. And it didn't happen the first time. And we know a lot of things that don't work. And this is the way our uh, racing goes as our, our chief engineer of the team. Uh, you know, first off, Larry Carroll, who's the team principal. And uh, Larry, I called him and I said, hey, I just heard about this Quest for 200. And Larry is a retired petroleum engineer and an oil man. So when I went to him with the proposal to build a and help me uh, help back me with an electric car. I thought, well, what's an oil guy in Montana going to do with an electric car? And he was all over it. He uh, he took a, he said, Steve, I'm behind you all the way. And, uh, I wouldn't have done it without Don Garlitz. He, he inspired myself and our team uh, to go after this and really take a look at what what the next step in evolution of specifically drag racing in this case was. Elect electrification was it. And we set out on our journey. We do appreciate you coming on and congratulations for being the first man at the top of the hill. But I can promise you this next gentleman we're going to be talking with, uh, you stole some of these thunders. So he's getting ready to get some <laughs> of it back. Cause I, I know he's going to try to figure out, okay, you went 200. I'm going to go 210. Yep. So I know that's the, that's what drives him. Mr. Garlitz, would you uh, share with us, you know, why you had to do this? I mean, why did you want to be the first guy to break a 200 mile an hour mark in a electric electrified drag racer. Well, that, that goes back a little bit. We have to go back to get the whole story. If that's what you want to hear, I'll be happy to tell it. Well, yes, sir. Bring us up to speed here because this is all, this is all new. I mean, okay. I knew this was in, going in on. Year? Okay. We I all know about Daryl Gwynn and his terrible accident where he got, mm -hmm. he's a paraplegic, right? Right. In, two, in 2000, Mike Geary and some friends built a little electric go-kart dragster that looked like Daryl Gwynn's car that he won the championship in. Mm -hmm. And they brought it to Indianapolis secretly, undercover, rolled Daryl Gwynn up to the starting line in a wheelchair. The roll cage came off of this car with hose clamps. They picked Daryl Gwynn up, set him down in this little electric dragster, put the roll cage on it, and he puts down the Indianapolis Raceway Park on a Saturday night in front of 100,000 fans, about 20 miles an hour, and there wasn't a dry eye in the house, hmm. this little electric dragster. I have this dragster in my museum. Okay. Daryl Gwynn came to me about a month or so later, and he said, there was such a response for that. Why don't we build two electric dragsters to compete in match races at selected NHRA events and raise money for the Spinal Cord Injury Foundation. So we built to what we call, we were going to try to go like 100 miles an hour. But Daryl Gwynn's car did not have any pedals in it, nor did it have a steering wheel. It just had that little joystick, very similar to the one on his wheelchair. Well, we couldn't go that fast. We had to keep taking batteries out of the cars till we got them down about 30 miles an hour. And then Daryl was able to control the car safely. And we did do the match races throughout the NHRA series and raised a lot of money for the Spinal Cord Injury Foundation. Then we sold the cars at the Barrett-Jackson auction, raised another quarter of a million and the project was over. But I always had this inside of me, we had cut these cars back from about 100 miles an hour to 30 miles an hour. And I said to Mike Geary, I said, how fast do you think we could go 
if we took the gloves off. And Mike said, we might reach 200 miles an hour and the project was born and Swamp Rat 37 was begin to be constructed. And we built the car originally, it had six motors in it, DC powered and chains and everything. And we did break the record right off the bat. The record was around 150 some miles an hour at the time. And we raised it like 170, 174, 180, until we got to 185.6, 7.25 seconds. Now, I might add, we did have a 7.05, but we didn't have a backup because the car broke before we could back up the 7.05. But we did go 7.25 with that car, which I think is still the record, and 185.6. But nothing we did after the 185.6 bar go faster, and it would go to the line in it at 2,300 pounds, ready to go. So I said to myself, why is a top fuel car that's capable of going, this is based on like a 300 mile an hour chassis, why am I fooling around with something like that when actually Swamp Rat 14, which went over 200 miles an hour, a very light, small car, should do the job. So I built Swamp Rat 38 with a single motor, high gear, and chain-driven sidewinder. And that car reached 189.04. And we were just ready to turn the thing loose. We had a few mechanical failures, which is always the case with brand new equipment. The COVID hit and everything changed. We didn't get a chance to get to the tracks. We didn't get our stuff. We didn't get the things that we wanted. And it just kind of put the damper on things. And of course, I, unbeknownst to me was in the meantime, this young man out on the West Coast, Mr. Huff was working hard on his dragster. And lo and behold, one night he goes 201.0 something, I think he was 201 miles an hour and did in fact take the 200 miles an hour. Well, that what that did, that took a lot of the incentive off me. I was under a lot of pressure and the COVID had, was, had everything screwed up. I had a museum to be concerned about with the no visitors and there was a lot of pressure on me. And then on top of that, then I got COVID, almost died. And so the whole project just got set aside. But now everything's looking good. I'm back in my good health. And it looks like I need to set my sights on something like 210 or 215 miles an hour. So I have um, new plans are on the drawing board. I'm going to reback half this present car, this Swamp Rat 38, which I like real well. It's a nice lightweight car. But I'm going to reconfigure the back half of the car with the engine and the drivetrain. And I believe that what I do will take us to about 215 miles an hour, maybe a little more. Depends on just how much power I get out of the motor. Well, it sounds like to me the gauntlet has been thrown down. And uh, Steve, yeah, can you can 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 you can you handle this? I mean, are you prepared yeah, I, to, to to make the next step? I, I am, and you know, it's always been about innovation. And similarly uh, to Don's story, when we, with the AC drive system, the first time that we took this new chassis of mine, uh, I've got a transverse mounted chassis design that, uh, in fact, it's odd. I, I wasn't aware of Don's Sidewinder projects when I, when I got into it. And so I kind of gave myself a little pat on the back because I, I thought, well, if I'm thinking like that guy, the good things are gonna happen. So. Uh, when we first went out in 2017 with our car, we came off the trailer at 180 miles an hour. It was quickly reestablishing the AC record. And I did it with a little different approach. Uh, I had been telling my electric counterparts or electric racers that I knew in the industry over the last 15 years, I kept saying, you need a clutch, you need a clutch. I, I really believe uh, like we do with a fuel bike or a fuel car, you know, you set the horsepower, manage all the power with a clutch to get it to the ground. We can all spin our tires whenever we want. In that world, uh, you know, it's who, he who manages to collect best wins. And, uh, and we're able to take, uh, in the DC drive system, it's able to relieve some of the strain of trying to instantly throw thousands of amps at a motor. Uh, you know, if you stop a motor, 
it's a DC motor. They don't like that. The brushes are making sparks when they're under a big load. It's really tough on them to start at zero RPMs and get them moving. Uh, and contrary to popular belief, an AC drive system is not incentory. It's a lot of it, but it certainly isn't what, uh, with an AC drive system going through the controllers and the way that we manage our power, which is uh, very advanced systems that we're using. We're, we're, none of our stuff has been repurposed. In the DC world, we saw a lot of repurposed things, uh, you know, hopped up uh, forklift motors, things like this. And over the years, recently, um, the, 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 AC, the emphasis that's gone really into AC drive systems because of their potential for longevity is what we see in the OEM cars. And like I said, contrary to popular belief, it's not an AC, it's not instant torque. In fact, in my vehicle, uh, we don't reach full power with when we run without the clutch, a direct drive system, conventional system. Uh, we can only get to, we don't get to full power until about 460 feet down the track. Uh, it, it won't use all of the amps until the motors are spinning fast enough to consume. And I think about a carburetor and jetting your main jets. Well, you're not on that circuit until you're wide open throttle at pretty high RPMs. You're not to start thinking about the idle circuit, off idle circuit, the intermediate circuits, the acceleration circuits. And we have all of that in electric drag racing. There is a lot of tuning that happens. And I'm running four motors. There are two individual housings. Uh, each housing contains two motors. Uh, but initially we thought we could do this with one of these single dual stack motors. And, and like Don said, keep the car lightweight. And I, made mine outboard. I did a belt drive with a high gear and a clutch. And we went 180 miles an hour with pretty slow 60 foot times. Uh, uh, I put a three speed planetary transmission in. Scott Owens had built for me. Our, 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 our 60 foot times were improved. We're gonna have 60 foot in drag racing is critical. It's won or lost in 60 feet majority of the time. And uh, so first with one motor, it was 180 mile an hour car. We changed motor designs. Uh, we tried a different style of motor again with one motor, uh, one dual stack motor. We went 185 and then Don, I think, went to 187. And, uh, and, then, and then we went to 185 and Don went to 189. And I said, we've got to double down on our power. So we ended up doubling up. We put two dual stack motors in. And currently I'm developing a clutch right now. I wasn't able to have it done this year because of COVID. We, we have it completed, but we've only tested once. Uh, because our next goal for me is to be the first in the six. Don's been a lot closer to the six second barrier than I have, but uh, that's my next goal is to be the first into the sixes. And, and I think with the develop more clutch development, the AC world, will, will, we will find a way to do that. And uh, I believe that these guys, you know, in the DC world, they make a lot more power instantly than the AC ones. They can get to full power before 400 feet down the track. And when I do it with a clutch, it allows us to spin that motor up just like a conventional car, you get it right up into its peak power, you launch from the line. Because in direct drive, our 60 foot times have gone back down to 1.34, 1.35 seconds, which, yeah, that's a lot of torque for a street car. That's a very fast 60 foot time. But for guys like Don and I, that's not as good 60 foot time at all. So Keith, question, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to two people that are basically battling one another. How many other uh, innovators do we have out there that are, are working, doing the same thing these two gentlemen are? And, and how, how much is this going to grow? I mean, what's, what does the future look like? I think right now it even goes back to the, there's a lot of innovators that started out there. There's a guy by the name of Dennis Bruby who basically ran into the eight second range on lead acid batteries, which was kind of unheard back in the day. Uh, he's kind of tired and stuck over in Indonesia with COVID now, but now he's got the spark uh, to get back over here uh, and try to compete uh, to do that. The biggest thing finally is we are finally not technology limited on what we can do, okay? It's the will and the want and the need for speed to do it. And obviously everybody always wants to go faster. But I truly believe, you know, being a motorsports in, involved in that as a, as, a, as a consumer of the product and an engineering guy following it all my life, I love the fact to be around these two guys, be an innovation to do things. People ask me what I do as a living, and I guess the easiest way is I fix problems. Uh, the way my mind works, I, I, I start to think out too far where 10, 20 years out where it's going to be, people think I'm crazy, I take it as a compliment. 
and to hang around with Don as I've got to be close friends with him. And then watching Steve is this past weekend is, is he, he has evolved and self-taught himself electricity in this and a lot of information over the last four years to see him interact with the people and the car and the technology. It's very refreshing to see this. Uh, where it really helps in electrification, where it comes into drag racing is helping the next generation. Uh, the one area we see is obviously in the electrification of the junior dragsters, which kids can start at five and race when they're seven to 17. So we can develop, we can use racing to develop the whole next generation of engineering and electrical engineering and people that we need and people that work within this technology. You're learning a job skill that has a whole lot to do within the electrical industry. Obviously, you can see a guy that works on internal combustion engines and tuning carburetors. Uh, they're far and few between right now that we went to EFI and everything else. You, I mean, you know, check and a carburetor and everything that you used to have to do and where Jack Roush was an expert at, uh, they're unfortunately becoming dinosaurs because that technology is, is slowly going away. And this is, uh, this is the path we're going. And I will say one thing like the other guys, if you combine an electric engine Okay, an electric motor with an engine, you got it right. If you put those two things together, cool things happen. And that's obviously you see what's going to happen with Indy into a hybrid configuration. That's what you're going to see that NASCAR is talking about doing is a hybrid configuration in the beginning, not going to straight electric because it's not there yet. And the ultimate one is obviously, which is Formula One, right? I mean, most people don't realize Formula One is a 1.6 liter V6. It's faster than it ever has been. It has a generator on the output of the turbocharger to charge the battery. It has a sequential supercharger to get instant power, and it gets regenerative braking and energy into the car. So you put all that together, and you end up with a really cool package. And I really believe now is the time uh, to do this. The NHRA understands it. Indy understands it. And obviously, NASCAR is headed in that direction. So the, And COVID, good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, has basically moved the uh, finish line about five years forward, I think. I think 2020, my thing, 2025, I think, is a key thing because of what we're doing and the next generation of battery technology that's coming into play. Well, thank you there. Mr. Garlicks, what's your biggest concern as far as the future of electrification and uh, why is this so passionate for yourself? Well, you know, Philosophically speaking about electrification, it is definitely the future. And the reason it is the future is because when you buy an internal combustion engine car, the pollution is real good. I mean, it's almost zero pollution. But when a car gets about 50,000 miles on it, it starts to change. It starts to be emitting polluting gases. But the car is still running real good, and you cannot expect the general public to discard this car because it's no longer as clean as it was when you bought it. The car is still good. With the electric vehicle, it's a different situation. The car will be just as clean the last day it runs as the first day it runs, and the generating plant where the power is generated is controlled completely. They have scrubbers, they have everything. And so that plant emits the same amount of emissions every day, always, which is totally controlled, which in the future will even get cleaner. So I see the electric vehicle as the vehicle of the future, but there are a couple of elephants in the room. Number one is we do not have the grid to support everybody having an electric vehicle at the present time. That grid has to be changed completely. Plus, the people who are in power in Washington now have this crazy idea about not using fossil fuels to generate power. We are going to have to use fossil fuels to generate power to change the world to electric vehicles. We cannot power electric vehicles with solar and wind. That's just a fact. I mean, it's not, it's not political, it's just a fact. And that is the elephant in the room. They have battery technology now that's so superior to what we have, but they can't use it because we don't have the ability to charge these batteries in mass. In other words, four or five people on every street with an electric vehicle would change everything as far as the grid goes. 
And they, that is something that has not been addressed publicly. We've got to make some major changes in our infrastructure to support electric vehicles. They are definitely cleaner. They are definitely better or smoother. And in drag racing, of course, I get all this flack, you know, about my electric vehicle and what am I doing? You know, fuel dragsters make so much noise and they're so much fun to watch. That's true. But yeah. we have to think of the future. The future is not, I'm talking about 20 years from now, they will not allow a nitro fuel dragster to even start up because they're just so nasty. I mean, mm -hmm. they are fun, and I'd be the first to say that because, I mean, I'm the father of fuel dragsters, but I'll be the first to <laughs> you say are. that they're, they're yeah. on their way out. And electric dragsters, another thing is this noise pollution. I mean, they the public likes this noise at these events, but I'm telling you, this noise is not good. I can hardly hear what you people are saying because I'm almost totally deaf from all this noise. Well, noise is a form of pollution too. And that's going to be something that in the future, the not too distant future, there's going to be a lot of flack and a lot of problems with it. Look at the drag strips that have been shut down because they were too close to residential mm -hmm. areas over noise pollution. The electric vehicle solves this problem. We'll be able to run it. And that's why the Formula One, they can run these races right in the cities with these electric cars and it doesn't bother anybody. It is the vehicle of the future. It's just not tomorrow and not even five years from now, but it's going to be here. It's coming and there's nothing anybody can do about it because there's so many people on this planet. Everything has got to be as clean as possible and the electric vehicle is definitely going to be cleaner. And with the new battery technology, which I, I don't know that much about, I just know it's out there. It's a very clean thing too. They're gonna to get away from all those terrible exotic materials that are in the batteries in the electric vehicle. So when they get that new battery out there, the car will really be clean. And then this is, and that, that battery also, it holds a charge a long time. It lasts a long time. It isn't like the batteries that we have in the cars today that you know you can only go 400 miles. These new batteries will carry you tremendous mileage and have tremendous life and be tremendously clean. So that's the future of it. It's coming. You might as well get ready for it. Well, thank you for that. And I got to ask the one question, how is it for you to be there working on a dragster and not having that noise? I mean, is that something that you had to get accustomed to? Don? What was, what was the question again? You've been accustomed to that noise your entire career, your entire life. How was it when you got to the racetrack and you did not hear that noise, how was that to adjust to? Was it strange? You know, I really liked it. And the reason I liked it because now I could hear all the little different things in the car going down the track that I could never hear before. You know, like when you drive your vehicle down the street, your regular car, you hear all the little sounds and you know that you got a little noise coming out of a wheelbarrow or you got this or that. I could hear all that in the direction and I really liked it. I really and didn't like the noise to tell you the truth. So Don, we got we've got a little bit of a uh, connection problem there with you. We heard what you said about liking it, Steve. What about you? Were yeah. you kind of like uh, uh, when you cut that thing off the first time, or even going down the the, the track? Uh, were you hearing sounds you'd never heard before? Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. And, and you know, I'll pick up there where Don left off. Uh, not to speak for him, but I, I think we think very similarly on it. You know, in my career uh, spanning uh, professionally since 1997, I've, I've set uh, 17 national and world records. Some of those are nitro bikes, uh, including top fuel Harleys. And I love the sound. I love top fuel racing. Uh, 
I, lo I love racing with fuel. I like racing with turbos. I like racing, you know, when uh, there are these new things coming in, when, uh, when metric, when, when, when import cars started drag racing, you know, I said, oh, they don't have any place on the drag strip, these little four cylinders, you know, but I was wrong. I, I was completely wrong. Now, as I've gotten older, I've, I've learned a lot more. And uh, a lot of people tell us, uh, you know, the noise, uh, you know, the noise, you're not going to replace the noise. We're, we're not trying to replace the noise. We're trying to be an addition to the sport. We're, we're, we're not going to replace anything. We're just looking into the future. What is there that's going to be happening? So, uh, not having, you know, we have we have uh, headsets and, and radios and everything in our helmet, and then the electric drag, so I can pull up to the starting line and just lift my visor and say, "Give me a four tenths three, please," and I pull it on down. And from a, I'm a true racer. From a, like just like what Don said, whether I was on my top fuel bike or I'm in my hydroplane, whatever I see thing that I'm aboard driving or riding, we're, we're always listening for those noises. As a, as the uh, crew chief also, even on a drag strip, I'm making tuning calls. Uh, by ear and by the you know what my seat feels like when I got into the electric car, it gave us gave me so much more focus on driving. It is the uh, you know noise is another one of our sensories that consumes brain energy and and uh, thought processing capabilities and and uh, professional racers like Don and myself we've learned that noise what noise to identify what's a good noise what's a bad in the electric car, we hear the tires ripping out of the VHT, a sound that well, we've never experienced before. It gives you an idea how much power you're putting down on the big end of the track versus the short end of the track. And from a driver perspective, it allows me to do one thing, look down the track, focus past the finish line, point, look in the direction that I want to go. I don't get distracted by the noise. So uh, it allows me to, and it, I, I believe it will allow all drivers, even if they're on the street, to have utilize more of their processing ability to actual the actual driving part instead of the distractions that the noise can also cause but the noise i'm a huge fan I, you know we were just in las vegas at the nationals my favorite place to sit was right there on the starting line three feet away from those zoomies and uh with my earplugs and get also like don i have hearing damage and uh, it's horrible tinnitus we and a lot of us do we we uh, lay in bed at night with this ringing sound in our ears that's a byproduct of what we thought was a heck of a lot of fun. And, uh, so there, and I understand neighborhoods moving in next to the tracks and tracks closing down. If I didn't want noise, personally, I wouldn't move next to the track, I wouldn't move next to an airport, but it happens. We're not gonna slow expansion, you know, it's progress, we're not going to change that. So when we watch the, you know, our, 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 uh, our tow vehicle makes more noise than our race car. And the other thing about it is, uh, you know, we have a 200 mile an hour car that we can drive to the starting line and drive back to the finish line. We can go out with three guys or for a team. My fuel bike, that wasn't happening. And a fuel car, that's not happening. Not that we're a fuel car, but, uh, you know, most 200 mile an hour cars are towing back and forth. They're, they're, they're designed to run for seven or eight seconds, and that's it. And if they run much further, yeah, the fuel car is designed to run for four seconds. If you go any further, you're going to see all sorts of parts. But the electric car, it allows us to have more fun racing. Uh, and there are so many challenges. This is not a just plug and play system. It is not a slot car. There, we have four motors. All four motors are tuned differently. So I, the, the people involved in it, and I would recommend to those of you who are interested, well, give it a shot. Uh, a lot of us are interested in these industries and these sports because it challenges our minds. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of us share the same uh, mindset. So. I, I'm having a lot of fun and driving the car uh, and being able to focus on just driving uh, really slows time down a lot. Well, Mr. Gunglis, I've seen you kind of come up on the edge of your seat. And, and first and foremost, Ed uh, Arango would like to say, Mr. Garlitz, you're a very smart man. And more importantly, you're a visionary. He passed on a really nice compliment to you. Uh, but you got anything you'd like to add to, with what uh, Steve has, has just said? Are you asking me? Yes, sir. Oh, well, there is one thing I'd like to say about that. You know, the I like to race, and the fun of drag racing is getting down the track, getting out on the track and making a run. Well, in a fuel dragster, what had happened over the years, it, so much work and so much preparation has to go into each run, you, you don't get to make many runs anymore. 
and I would take the electric dragster and go to the drag strip for my tests. We make five and six runs in an afternoon, which was unheard of in a fuel dragster. Mm -hmm. So I was getting a lot more track time in, and I really enjoyed that. There was less maintenance between the runs. It was just the charge and the batteries, which mostly took up most of the time. So I was actually, the truth of the matter is, I was having a lot more fun with my electric dragster than I'd had with my fuel dragster for years and years. And a lot of the guys don't understand that, you know, because to me, it's not fun rebuilding mm -hmm. the motor every round. The fun is going from point A to point B as fast as I can. And I think that's what the crowd likes. The crowd really enjoys that. They don't mm -hmm. like sitting in the stands waiting for the cars to be repaired and come back to the line. So I think that uh, electric dragsters, if we got them, a lot of them, whether it be a class, I think it would be a real enjoyable class for the general public. Is that is that what you're smiling about right now? Is that you can see this is possibly going to uh, enlighten and maybe get the rest of the country to join these two gentlemen? And the next thing you know, we're going to have a uh, another series and another series and another level. You know, what I'm trying to say is that you know I don't know how you're going to control. Um, the classes, but at the same time, you're wanting more classes. Is that the direction we're talking about? Yeah, yes, we're trying to get that. And that's the one area where we've we've kind of discovered that, like I reiterated before, is within the junior drag racing side. Uh, you got to follow what the market wants. And the ice guys don't want to race the electric guys because basically we have less, less parts of the equation to solve, right? I tell people they're looking at air fuel mixture. We're, we're looking at, we're putting your finger up in the air and looking for which way is the wind blowing. Another key piece with the immersive guys, why well, I wanted to watch that before in drag racing, Jeff, a key part for us is having the battery temperature at a very specific optimized temperature to launch, okay? It's one of the most crucial things we can do for performance, okay? It's called warm batteries and cold motors equals fast times. Uh, and in the juniors, we want to get it there so we can run the all-electric classes. The advantages with the juniors and the change with the NHRA where the kids used to age out when they're 17. Now there's going to be an 18-year-old master class. So when your kid decides to stop racing or whatever, or in your case there, we can put you in a junior electric dragster and you can go down and run the eighth mile, which is going to open up those cars. When the kids hit 17, you don't have to sell them and the kid loses interest. Hey, you jump in the car. And you start to have fun and and we can do that so these cars these cars will last a lot longer in the case of the juniors an investment right it's the same motor from when the kids five to when they're 17 we just change the dials and the numbers for what the class that they're running in we don't have to have a different motor we don't have to have a different battery if we want to go really fast we can put a little bit of better battery in the car uh to do that but we're seeing a huge change and, and and where you see it in the automotive space obviously lithium battery technology is replacing lead acid in traditional automobiles as well that's becoming a huge area because it's weight savings and you have more energy and more power so i'm i'm totally excited and hanging around with these two guys over the last couple of years to see this evolve and move forward uh, it, it's an exciting time to be involved in motorsports. And I think it's like the title of the thing, you know, innovation at record speed, right? Uh, to do that. How fast can we innovate? How far can we go? And kind of my thing, it's just like the Christmas tree on drag racing, right? You can stick it. You have to stage and you have to pre-stage, but just like with what we're doing now, if you can't react, you don't win the race. Right. And that's a big part that, that fits life and everything else. So I'm I'm truly excited to, to see this move forward and how fast we can move it forward. Were you wanting to add something? Uh, uh, Jeff, yeah, I'd like to add something in here. I saw a couple of questions come up uh, in regards to safety. And, you know, so we'll answer a couple of things simultaneously uh, in regards to training track officials, because uh, that's all gonna come back also to training teams in regards to mm -hmm. safety. And these things, uh, like nitro, man, this stuff can be dangerous, has potential to be very dangerous. Let me give you a couple of, of numbers to put this into perspective. My battery in my car, uh, probably the largest of its type ever built in the private sector for its purpose. Uh, my battery is, contains eight, it's an 800 volt battery. 
it has 960 individual cells in it. So of these 960 cells, we group those into 192 groups of five. So it's referred to as 5P192S. Now, if you tell that to somebody that's under 30, they know what I'm talking about. When I speak at SEMA and other places, when I speak to people that, you know, uh, old knuckle draggers like me, they ask how much horsepower is the vehicle. When I sp speak with the younger crowd, they ask me how many kilowatts is it? And uh, there's a very distinct difference. And this kilowatt thing, this battery thing, this energy thing, and containing that energy into one box. My battery contains, in my vehicle, it contains 1.6 million watts. So what does that really mean? Based on, I'll tell you, based on average daily household light, how much light is in the, being used in an average household in the United States on a daily basis, we, make, we have enough energy stored in our battery to light 2,400 homes for 30 seconds. Wow. So, yeah. So these are the numbers. This is a staggering amount of energy. We draw 2,000 amps off of our battery at 800 volts. Our battery is so stout. You know how our 12-volt battery sags down when you're cranking the car over and there's a demand. A 12-volt battery will sag down to about 9 volts. And that's just, these are conventional numbers that we've all used for years. Our 800-volt battery, under a, long under a drag race load at 2,000 amps, sags down to 635 volts. Then when we return, we start at 800. During the run, it'll pull all the way down. It's like a clutch graph. <laughs> During the run, it'll go down to 635 volts. When I shut it off at the end, it pops back up to 770. And on a power pull, that takes us 45 minutes on a 50-amp circuit to put that much energy back in. It's, it's, we can, our back is specifically designed to not go long distances. In fact, our battery is only 18 kilowatts. Our previous guests were talking about large kilowatt numbers. And these are great when you have to travel long distances. In drag racing, and why I think electrification in drag racing was such a natural fit is because we do have the technology currently to go 200 miles per hour. We did it. Uh, we have the technology to go fast. We're, we're, we're only asking these batteries to perform uh, less than 10 seconds at a time. When you want performance like that to last for minutes, uh, it, it adds a lot more challenges. And we'll watch as the and controlling the temperatures, the, the technical details of this will continue to happen. But drag racing's always been about a couple of guys at the starting line. They got one shot, one chance, you win or you go home. I mean, if there's an ego-driven sport, it's, it's in drag racing. I'm, I'm happy to be here. One shot, one chance, you throw it all in there. All knobs turn to 12. And uh, like Don said, you know, a lot of the, of the fuel stuff, they're not back just doing service. They're repairing the fuel stuff every round. There's something's wearing out in a matter of three and four seconds. And like, uh, you know, I, I, I agree. It's, it's put a lot more fun with me back into racing. It's fun going down the track. I set out to be the first to 200. That was the contest. It wasn't a noise contest. Give me a noise contest. We'll, we'll go out and we'll make a bunch of noise. But uh, this is, it's been fun. It's, we train uh, and we do train the, the track safety officials. There is a different series of standards. We've worked closely with the NHRA, other sanctioning bodies, NEDRA, to help establish some of these rules because that is a tremendous amount of energy contained inside of these batteries. And uh, as safety features continue to develop, uh, we'll see more and more people out there. We, uh, we don't hear of a lot of accidents right now because we are being able to control and manage that much energy. Uh, you know, that, that, it's not easy, but uh, we, we can do it with safety and redundancy in place. Well, that's great to hear. And here again, I really want to say thank you to a lot of the uh, attendees today that are offering up questions and, and have tuned in to watch this uh, webinar today here on the Partrait. And really appreciate ARP for you know being involved and in, in supporting what we're able to do each and every Wednesday. But I wanted to let, you know recognize a couple of other folks that were talking about uh, this one guy. He'd been up at. Uh, a performance Tesla test at Thermal Club last weekend, and he he said was referring to the fact that yeah, how much better you can hear and feel the tires and suspension because you got no noise, uh, even in a Tesla. But you talked about the safety concerns. We got a couple of people here that were talking about 
you know, the electric, you know, vehicle packages being run and the lithium batteries, are they safety concerns? And I know that the, the folks that were on uh, the hour before with the Immersa, you know, which are a submerged battery pack, and they talked about, you know, how things can catch on fire and you can have problems with it. And their particular battery pack comes with a, a the cooling down unit to keep the, the, the temperatures from getting very high. Uh, it looks to me like this is something that is not just happening here in the United States, it's happening international. And there's a lot of people that are, that are coming up with innovative and creative ideas for different applications of different types of racing, not just drag racing, but you know, as we were touching the Le Mans series, uh, off-road, I mean, it's, it's, it's there. I mean, we have got electric, we got an electric race world coming at us, whether we like it or not. And that's what Don alluded to. It may not be today, you know, we haven't got to the top of the mountain yet, but it may be, you know, several years down there, but we are climbing the mountain as we speak is the way I guess I'd look at it. We have left base camp. <laughs> exactly. So with all the different ideas and approaches, uh, Mr. Garlitz, what, what do you envision to be the next thing? I mean, he's, uh, Steve's talking about AC, you talk about DC. I mean, what's going to be he's, you know, how, how is he going to help set up these classes, you know, until we've determined what's going to be the best for the, for the industry as a whole as we move forward? What's the technology going to be brought? Well, it's going to be, you know, it, it depends on what people build. As You know, the classes were all determined in drag racing by the guys would come to the track with different configurations of cars, and then they it's kind of separated in the classes. Of course, in the very beginning, it was just one kind of car, just like it is now. We just got these dragsters, and that the factory's got some cars that they're putting out that are pretty impressive. So there'll be classes for, for that. There'll be dragster classes, but there'll be then you and we we already know the junior dragsters are using electric motors. So it's a start, and there'll be as the more cars are built, there'll be more classes uh, designed for them. But what we got to understand is there has never been a movement that's been so worldwide as this electrification of the automobile. So we got all the great minds on the whole planet and all this money behind them, all these uh, huge sums of money from these budgets from the different countries because of the environmental effect of electrification of the car we're going to see some really good technology come very fast. Uh, not like it was before. This is almost like a force fed deal because we want to clean the planet up. Electrification is one way to do it. And technology is very important. So when you get that much interest and that much uh, people that many people working on it, you're going to really see some breakthroughs that are just going to be mind-boggling. And uh, it's it's coming. It's going to be here. Uh, uh, you know, it's we're, we're five years to ten years from now, you're not going to recognize the, the the automobile world versus what it is today. Trust me, it will. It, it's uh, ten years is going to be unbelievable change because that'll give us time to get the infrastructure built, the, the power generating plants built, and, and all this, all these mines, this, this big think tank is what it boils down to, coming up with all these different ideas and innovations. And, and I, I just, I'm just excited to be part of it. I mean, uh, here's a little trivia for you. My um, father, Edward Elmer Garlitz, was an engineer at Westinghouse he knew George Westinghouse personally because Mr. Westinghouse sent him to college. He, he, he went to work at Westinghouse as a floor sweeper. And he was so involved in electricity and liked it so much, Mr. Westinghouse sent him to college, got his electrical engineering degree, and my father was on the team that invented the electric iron and the electric fan. So it's in my blood. <laughs> And see, all this time I thought he ran on gas and oil. Now I find out he's been plugged in his entire life. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. It really is. 
Oh, uh, nice. Uh, be, also, I uh, just wanted to mention something. I think, Don, you've got a birthday coming up again. They seem to get us every year. But, you know, after, back to our performance things, you know, Don uh, was talking about the challenges about COVID. That's why we ended up in Tucson in May of last year, uh, ultimately being able to get break this 200 thing. On the last pass, I didn't even know it was happening. Uh, it was very surreal. And the only thing that beat it was having the opportunity for myself and my team uh, last year to go down to Ocala, Florida, uh, spend the day with Don and his, uh, I think it was the day after your birthday. And uh, Don is such a gentleman. Uh, and to be able to go down and meet a, 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 you know, a man who has inspired me throughout my career, throughout my life, and so many others. And uh, to be able to go down there and do that and have our team earn their way uh, into the history books was, uh, I, I ha really have to thank Don. It, Don Don has single-handedly brought the attention to this electric drag racing. Uh, this last weekend, my car was at, and we, we were able to make a pass at an NHRA national event, Las Vegas. And if you've never been to one, it's a, it's a spectacle. It's the, it's the greatest show on earth. And so many, so many other racers, Ronnie Caps and John Force, and uh, you know the other people that are out there that came over and everybody talking about, you know, People know that Don started it and Don, you know, Don's name and uh, lending his name, his innovations, his, uh, his pursuit for uh, new things, uh, being involved in this sport has really helped. And uh, we want to say thanks to Don and we hope this birthday is as good uh, to you as your last. Uh, and thanks again for last year and uh, uh, such a great time. And, I, you know, there's some, there are some talks in the, in the works, uh, you may see Don and I together at a racetrack near Florida next year. Well, again, I, I really appreciate both of we got you know a few minutes left here in our in our session, but it's been an honor to sit here and be able to get the inside story of how electric race electric race drag cars have come in and are changing as we speak. I mean, they're revolutionizing. The sport of drag racing once more. Mr. Garlitz, uh, it doesn't surprise me that you have been a bar raiser um, since you put on a helmet. You know, whatever you've gotten into, you've been able to establish the line, raise the bar. If somebody pushed it past you, you figured out a way to always come back and, and uh -uh, you ain't doing that to Don Garlitz, and you'd figure out a way to be the best of the best. And uh, here you are, you know, revolutionizing the sport that you've been so great in and, and nitro fuel dragsters and, and whatever else making noise, I'd like to say. And now you've gone down a totally different path, a quiet one, I might add, but at the same time, still very competitive. And I love what you're saying. You're a true racer because anytime somebody can say, I don't need to hear it. I just want to be driving. It. I mean, that to me speaks to your passion and to your heart. And uh, thank you for being a part of it today. And thank you for what you're doing once again, to the drag racing world, Keith, uh, for helping get these two guys together and, and share, sharing it with us today on Epartrate. Francis, we have really been blessed in a very, very unique way, my friend, because uh, we're watching history being made. Right, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, what a great double session today. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely, uh, you know, the trend and uh, to, to have the still group of people from different parts of the world uh, with the same sharing the same passion enthusiasm energy into this so yes that's definitely a, a, a very unique session so uh, thank you very much for being with us today and uh, the both webinars have been recorded they will be posted later on the ePortrait platform. We will be back next week for the last uh, episodes of uh, Race Industry Now. So we'll have another double feature with K1 and then with USAC. So, and then after that, we'll take a two weeks break because we are getting ready for the second uh, annual online race industry week, the first week of December. So, uh, you know, from, uh, so we'll have yeah, two more sessions. And then after that is the big season finale, as we call it. So thank you very much uh, for being with us today. And we'll see you again next week. Thank you. Thank you, thank gentlemen. You. Bye. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Registering on ePartrade is easy. Fill out your name, 
email, phone number, and create a secure password. Next, select your business type. Choose supplier if you're looking to display products or services and connect with buyers. Choose racing business if you're looking to find new parts and connect with suppliers. Choose race team if you own or are a member of a professional racing team. Begin typing your company name. We most likely already have your company in our database, which you can select from the drop-down. Then, enter your job title. Choose Claim Company if you'll be editing your company profile. Other members of your company can choose Join Company if they'd like to use ePartrade as well. You can view and agree to our terms of use here. If you'd like to receive our weekly newsletter, choose Accept. Click Register Now and your registration will be submitted for approval. You'll need to confirm your email once it goes through. To keep our platform industry only, you'll be approved shortly after. If we require additional proof of business, we'll reach out. Welcome to ePartrade.